Hello. Welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. Well, good morning. I am so excited for this morning's message, but let me start with a little story. I went into high school, and I was not a follower of Jesus, and to be honest, at that point in my life, that would have been the last thing on my radar. Um, But through the course of my high school career, I had friends who started to pray for me, started to talk to me about Jesus, started inviting me to these awkward events called church, where people would do that karaoke thing. I'm like, what are they doing? Are they singing? But in the course of that experience, my heart began to be warmed and the dry places of unbelief began to come alive. My senior year, my friend started a Bible study and it was five people, just meeting at a buddy's house. Then like the following week, 10 people would show up. A couple of weeks later, 20 people. Within a month, couple months, I think it was two months, within two months, 150 high school kids were packing into my friend's house. Every weekend it would change from one house to another on Friday nights on one of the biggest party nights for a high school kid. Kids were coming to our friend's house because they were hearing that people were experiencing God. I mean, I want you just to picture this scene, right? Like, so we're in a house. There's no adults. There's no pastor. It's just high school kids packing in that sort of steamy, batchy feeling in the air from 100 high, you know, teenagers packed into a room, a friend's leading worship. Another kid, one of my friends, is just giving a 15-minute devotional from the Bible about what he's learning about God. And at the end, someone would just say, who wants to get baptized? Fully clothed. And all our, we just go right out to the jacuzzi in the backyard. And boom, we're just baptizing people. People are coming to faith, soaking wet, and just radiating the presence of God. It was an an amazing experience. I'll never forget it, and it wrecked me and my view of Christianity forever. That's what it's like when God is moving. There are these seasons in human history when it just feels like heaven is breaking through all the doubt and all the darkness and all the death that's in our world when it seems like God himself is walking in our midst. Over the next three weeks, we are going to study this biblical concept of revival. And we're going to do it by answering three questions about revival. And we're going to begin this morning by asking a question, why revival? What is this idea? And why is it so important for us? And to do that, we're going to go to Ezekiel and look at this vision that God gives to him and, and, and try to understand why this is so important for us right now as we go to high school, if we go back to school tomorrow, we go to work, we go home to our families. Why is this so relevant for us today? Next week, we're going to unpack what we mean by a revival. What is this idea? And really try to get to the core of it as we look at scripture and understand the history of the church over the last 2,000 years. How can we define this and better understand this amazing phenomena of God in our midst. And then the third week, how do we respond? How can we participate and respond to God's desire to revive our life and people and the world around us through us, all right? So we're going to start this morning with Ezekiel, who's a prophet from the Old Testament. But to get us ready to understand this incredible vision that God gave to him, I want to give us a little background on Ezekiel. In 930 BC, that's 930 years before the time of Christ, so this is going way back, Israel 
had a civil war and was divided into two kingdoms, the north and the south. Now, as the saying goes, a house divided against itself cannot stand. The same was true for that nation because 208 years after that civil war, Israel was sacked by Assyria. Assyria came in and took all of the northern kingdom off into exile. And you would have thought that the southern kingdom would have learned a lesson, would have given up their idolatries, would have heeded God's concern and warning to stop neglecting and taking advantage of the poor and the disadvantaged. Oh, Siri, shh. Sorry about that, guys. Here it was. Yeah, that's on airplane. Okay. Sorry, Siri started talking to me. That's weird. That's weird. <laughs> that disturbs me profoundly. Okay, here we go. So 125 years later, the southern kingdom where Jerusalem is, where the temple is, is sacked by the Babylonian Empire, 597 BC. They're dragged off into exile, and along with that exile cohort of Israelites is a 20-something-year-old priest by the name of Ezekiel, who we're going to hear from this morning. He's taken off into exile, and 10 years into his exile, he begins to hear from God. And he receives a message from God right after Babylon goes back to, to Israel and burns Jerusalem to the ground, burns the temple to the ground. And at that point, the people of Israel are feeling like all their hope is gone. See, they still had hope. Yeah, we're in exile, but we're going to be able to go back. The temple is there. God is with us. But when the temple is burned down, it feels like God has completely abandoned them. Have you ever felt like that in your life? where you feel like the last straw has dropped, broken the camel's back, and you feel like God himself has left you. It's in that valley of despair that God takes Ezekiel into a valley of vision and gives him a vision of God's power to revive the most dry and dead places of our life. You ready for this? Ezekiel chapter 37 Watch what God says to him. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. And it was a valley full of daisies and dancing unicorns and sugar plum fairies. <laughs> now, I'm, you know, I like to make jokes like that because it's what we expect God to do to take us and make us just happy. But God doesn't do that right away. He first takes him through a valley that is full of bones. Verse 2, he led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then, I, then he said to me, prophesy to the bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. God loves to make himself known by dramatic acts of reviving our life in our world. He's like, that is who I am. Would you like to experience that? of God in your life right now. 
verse 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I, prophesied, as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. So there's activity, but no life. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them and they came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Have you ever tried to give hope to somebody that's profoundly discouraged? Have you ever had someone try to give you hope when you were discouraged? You know what I mean? Like when you're just having a bad day and someone's like, hey, buck up, little camper. It's going to be okay. And you're like, you know what? I don't need your encouragement. I'm doing fine right now just being discouraged. The people of Israel were so discouraged. And this was a hard message for Ezekiel. Because when you're discouraged and you're despairing, it's hard to let a message of hope in. Are you there in your life? Is there a place in your life where it would be hard to let God bring you a fresh message of hope? That's what God wants to do this morning because that's what God does when he revives our life. He brings hope where there's despair. In order for God's kingdom to break through on earth as it is in heaven, we need revival. Why? Because only God can breathe life into our dry bones. So I want to break this down in two ways. I want us to first look at the bones and what the bones in this imagery has to say to us about our life with God. And then we're going to look at the breath and the promise of the breath and what that means for us right now today in this room. Okay? Let's start with the bones. And to do that, we're going to go back to verse one. Verse one right here. Let's read it again. The hand of the Lord was on me and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and he set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. And he led me back and forth to really meditate and confront and see it from all sides. And I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. We need revival first because there are areas of our life and in our world that are bone dry. And there's no way we can resuscitate them. Imagine for a moment. Someone coming up to a skeleton and saying, I want to bring these bones back to life and trying to give CPR to a bunch of bones. It would just be, it's, it's just an absurd image. Someone maybe who's kind of been unconscious in the pool, you pull them out, yeah, you give them CPR, but to a bunch of bones, the idea is it is so gone, so hopeless, you don't even bother. And that's the image that God wants us to take a hold of. There are areas of our life that are so dry that only God's breath can bring new life. The first ver seven verses of this passage, if you were to look at all 14 verses, you would notice that in the first seven verses, the first half of the chapter, 10 of the 11 references to bones are all in the first seven. 10 out of 11, the first chunk is all about the bones. And why is that important? Because if God, when God wants to revive our life, when he wants to breathe new life into us, he's oftentimes, not always, but often, he's got to take us through a dry season to bring us in touch with the places of our life that are dry that need God's life. And what does that mean for you? What are those dry places in your life that you need God to breathe new energy, fresh joy, passion, 
fresh hope into. This is what the Israelites were saying. Look at this, verse 11. Then God said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, quote, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. The bones represent both the depth and the width of dryness in our life. All right, I want to unpack the bones for a second with us. What causes that experience of dryness in our life? I want to give you three quick reasons. Number one, we might experience dryness in our life because like the Israelites, we've gone through a traumatic experience. They've been dragged off into exile. They've seen loved ones die. The imagery of bones is literal. It's vivid. There's literally bones of their family members or loved ones littered all throughout Israel because the Babylonians wouldn't even allow them to be buried. So it's literal. But when we go through a traumatic experience like that, it leaves us cut off from God, like God has left us. Have you ever been there in your life? Have you ever gone through a traumatic experience or circumstance? The loss of a loved one, the loss of a career, financial hardship, a difficulty in your life that you never thought God would allow you to go through. It's in these times that we feel cut off from God, disconnected, When I went through my parents' divorce and I watched my family just sort of fall apart, I went through a depression and I just felt like I could not even connect with God's presence in my life for four and a half years. Other times we experience dryness, not because of a traumatic event, but because of an area of sin in our life. Because of some place in our life where we've been disobedient to God, we've resisted God. And the Israelites actually had been victims or or had been guilty of that. They'd actually been indulging in idolatry. They had been ignoring God's warnings to, be, to, um, to stop their injustice and to pay attention to the poor, the widows and the orphans and the strangers and aliens in their midst. And because of that sin, they had not only gone from, become dry as a nation, they'd be gone to a place of spiritual death. When we disobey God, we introduce our life, our body, our soul, and our relationships to spiritual death. Listen to this. It says in the Bible, Ephesians 2.1, Paul writes, once you were not asleep, not weary, but dead. That's the language. And that's why we talk about reviving, not times of refreshment, times of We can use the word renewal, but it's not strong enough. God doesn't want to just freshen things up in our life. Sometimes things get to the point where we're dead because of disobedience in our life. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. But there's a third reason we can find ourselves dry. It's not a traumatic experience. It's not sin, but simply because we've outgrown our faith. We've gotten to a place where yesterday's faith is, not a, is no longer enough for tomorrow's opportunities and challenges. And I want you to think about this for a second. But I'm going to illustrate it. Sometimes we have experiences in our past with God and we just kind of settle for those past experiences and we don't realize that God wants to continually grow us. And that dryness is not because we're doing something wrong or something terrible has happened. It's just because we've outgrown our faith from our 20s and God wants to take us to a new level. He wants to size up our faith. Let me illustrate this. 
was watching my son play soccer. And he's a little guy. He's like this big, right? He's just a little dude. And he's on the field. And, you know, the cardinal rule in the Pfeiffer family is when you get on that field, you don't have to be the best player, but you're going to be the most passionate player, right? You're going to bring everything. If you know me, you know that that's a, that's a really important characteristic for our family. You don't have to be the best, but you're going to give it 110%. My son's out there, and he's kind of running kind of funny, and I'm like, what's going on with him? And next thing you know, he's not running at all. He's like walking around. The ball's like right there, and he's just like, and just walking, and I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to really, i got to teach my son a lesson. This is a father-son moment where I'm going to really teach him, son, you don't ever go out there and give it 50%. He comes off the field after the game, and he's crying. So I kind of properly discern, right now is not the time for my little pep talk. <laughs> so I put it aside, and he's crying. I'm like, what's going on? And he's like, my feet, my feet. I'm like, your feet? I'm like, oh, sit down. What's wrong with your feet, man, you know? And I take his cleats off, and his feet are like this. He had outgrown his cleats. They were a full two sizes too small. Any parent ever do this? Am I alone here? I mean, am I just the worst parent? You know, I felt so terrible. But he wasn't telling us. He had just gotten used to his cleats and the pain gradually over time. He just wasn't paying attention until it got unbearable. He didn't do anything wrong. He wasn't out there just giving 50% because he didn't want to give it his best. His shoes were too tight. And some of us are playing the game with God with cleats that are too small. Our faith is from 20 years ago, 15 years ago, from when we were in our 20s, you know. But we are leaning on yesterday's faith, and God is saying it's time to size up. And, we, and the way God gets our attention when it's time to size up our faith is he puts us in touch with our dryness. He's like, man, God, I don't experience your presence the way I used to. I remember God when I used to go in my room and just put the worship music on, you know, and just worship you, you know, and, and, and then, well, you know, and then I had these beautiful kids and pretty soon, you know, I was changing diapers in the morning instead of worshiping and, and I just don't have time for that anymore. Now I'm busy working and you look back and you remember how you, your heart was just on fire for God. And you realize you just don't have that fire anymore. Now it's right here. You could just settle for that and become complacent and lukewarm and go, well, you know, now that I'm older, I guess I just can't have that kind of faith anymore. You just can't, you know, you're just not going to be on fire anymore. And I think that's just a bunch of good, that's just a big fat lie. We don't ever have to get to a place of spiritual dryness and say, well, you know what? That was then, but now it's time to grow up and be lukewarm and dried up for the rest of my life. You haven't done anything wrong. God is allowing you to have, be in touch with your dryness because he's awakening your soul for a fresh move of his spirit in your life. And every one of us, myself, you, no one is exempt from this. Every one of us is going to have seasons in our life where we feel dry, not because of some sin, not because of some traumatic experience, but yesterday's faith is no longer enough, and God wants to awaken you to a fresh outpouring of his spirit to take you further up, higher up into his presence with him. But the question is, do you want to go there? Because let's get honest, it gets a little comfortable in the old shoes. They feel fine. And it's easier to not run around in the field as much than it is to go looking for new shoes. My kids hate shopping for new shoes. 
You know, they don't, that is the last thing they want to do is go find new cleats. They would rather not run in the field than go buy new cleats. And some of us get that way spiritually. We just don't want to allow God to do a new thing in our life because we're comfortable and we've settled in and we become complacent. So this morning, I want us to look at how we respond to these seasons of dryness. How do we respond when we feel dry in our life? How, what do you do when God puts you in touch with a place of dryness in you or around you? Some of us might try to fix it ourselves. We actually try to do CPR on the skeleton of our lives alone. We try to, maybe we, we busy ourselves with more church activity. You know, maybe we, um, we read another book or we just try a little harder, but we don't really turn to God. We don't really say, God, I need you to do something here. And, and draw near to God. Instead, we just double down in our effort. Others of us, we don't, just, we don't try harder. You know what we do? We get discouraged. We interpret the dryness in our life as an indication that maybe God is not as real as we thought. It's where doubts start to creep in. Oh, you're dry? Oh, you're not feeling God's presence? Maybe, you know, that whole God stuff is not really as good as you thought it was. Maybe it's not really for you. Maybe you're just not a spiritual person. And we start to rationalize things and we get stuck in the valley, we get stuck in the dryness and we settle for it. And we actually begin to rationalize and we kind of just stay there and settle in. We tell ourselves, you know, hey, I'm 50, I'm 40. I'm, you know what, that was for then, but now it's time to grow up and be dry. <laughs> it sounds funny to say it, but don't you feel like we kind of get there? Oh, it's so good to see you. Those guys in their 20s or those teenagers so on fire for God. Good for them. That's just not for me. Oh, I'm just not the emotional type, you know? I, I've, I'm just more mature. I'm more intellectual. I just, you know, I'm cool with not being on fire for God. And so we settle for the valley of dryness. But what does Ezekiel do? I want us to learn from Ezekiel. Let's, let's go back and look at Ezekiel. What does Ezekiel do? Number one, if you look at the passage, Ezekiel lets God take him in the spirit and walk through the valley of bones and put him in touch with the places of dryness. This is so important. For us, this means we're willing to come face to face and admit the places in our life that we feel dry rather than hide it, rather than excuse it, rather than feel guilty about it. We're honest about it. If there's sin in our life, we start to confess sin. Recently, I had a brother come to me and starting to confess sin that he had been hiding from his spouse, from his dear ones for half, for like the last 10 years of their life. He'd been hiding this stuff and it was creating a dryness in their marriage. He couldn't put his finger on why, but he wasn't letting anybody know about an area of sin in his life that he had been hiding. Unconfessed sin, hidden sin in our life will dry you out to a bone. But when we confess it, when we're honest about it, yeah, it's painful. Yeah, maybe it's hard, but it is creating room for God to breathe life into that dry area again. It might just be being honest with ourselves with those, you know what, I don't like to pray anymore. I remember one time with my wife, I was telling her, this is like about 10 years ago when I was really going through an intense dry season. Babe, I haven't prayed for the last two weeks at all, not once. 
And I'm beginning to think it doesn't even matter. Have you ever been there? Where you're like, I haven't read the Bible in a month. I haven't prayed in a year. I haven't gone to church in six months. I'm beginning to feel like it doesn't matter anymore. That kind of honesty, that kind of acknowledgement, being honest about it and saying, but you know what? God can revive this. He can revive my prayer life. He can revive my, the, the, the experience I have as I open the scripture rather than just saying, you know, well, it's not all about the feeling. It's not all about that. It's just about reading it and being faithful and settling for less than the fire of God burning in your heart. Can you imagine your spouse coming to you and telling you, you know what? We've been married now 10 years, and after about the first year, I stopped having any emotion towards you. Now it's just like, but I'm just going to be faithful and take it by faith because it's not about my emotions. So you'd be kind of like, well, I'm kind of glad you're going to be faithful and it's not about your emotions, but still you would not be like, hey, that's great. Let's move on. You might say, I think we should go talk to Rob and Jeff Ranky, Robin and Jeff Ranky. Because if you're not feeling anything, man, maybe that's an indication. Being honest about the fact that, you know what, I just don't have the joy of the Lord in my life. I'm not experiencing his peace. I'm not experiencing God's love. I'm not being stirred by the things that stir God's heart anymore. Rather than saying, you know what, that's just for them. That's for that person. That's for the pastor. That's for you, sweetheart. You're more of an emotional kind of person. Instead of rationalizing it, you're willing to say, you know what, God? It's a dry area in my life. And I want to be honest about that. The second thing is he does is he, asks, he, asks, he commands Ezekiel to prophesy to the bones, to speak to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, come on these dry bones. And I want to talk about that and why that's so important and what it means for you to prophesy to the breath of God into those dry places in your life. You ready for this? Because right now, I want to show you how every one of you can be a prophet and speak to the Spirit of God over the dry bones in your life and experience God's reviving power flowing and setting those places on fire. Here we go. Let's look at the breath. Let's talk about the breath of God. Verse 9. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. We need revival because only God can breathe life into dead things. There are areas of our life that are dry and dead, and only God Only God. I'm not saying you shouldn't go see a therapist. I'm not saying you shouldn't try other things. I'm just saying, but in the end, we have to come to God. And we have to expect that God's the one who's going to bring that life into us. Listen to this scripture right here. Romans chapter 4. Abraham dared to trust God to do what only God can do. To raise the dead to life with a word makes something out of nothing. Are you, is there an area of your life where you need God to do something and to bring something out of nothing for you? How many people here have a place in their life right now where you're like, I need God to bring something out of nothing? Raise your hand. 
Like, you're like, there's nothing in me. There's no, I don't have anything for this. God, I need you to bring something out of nothing. This is how God loves to work in our life. Watch what he says right here. When everything was hopeless, Abraham believed anyway, deciding to live not on the basis of what he saw he couldn't do, but on what God said he would do. Right there. That's what this is all about. Because when you come face to face with dryness in your life, it's, it can be so discouraging. It can make you feel like hopeless, like there's nothing you can do. How can I change the fact that I have these doubts about God? You feel hopeless, right? You feel like, I can't change how I'm feeling about you, God. I can't change the dryness inside of me. And that's where God's saying, of course you can but I can. And that's the point, to bring us to our knees, to call on God to do what only he can do. I want to talk about the breath for a second here. Now, in this passage, the breath is, comes from the Hebrew word ruach. So if you're writing in the notes, you can put that little word there, ruach, right there, R-U-A-C-K-C-H. This word in the Hebrew is all throughout this passage, but it's in the English, it's translated in three different ways. It's translated breath, it's translated spirit, and translated wind. Because each of these different nuances give us a different understanding and picture of God in our life when he comes to revive us. Let's talk about first the breath. When we think of God's ruach as breath, it should take us back to Genesis, do you remember in Genesis when God breathed, chapter 2, verse 7, he breathed life into Adam's nostrils right here. Then the Lord formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. So breath speaks to us, here it is, of God's pattern of revival in our life. So that every time you take a breath, you are being reminded, God, I need your spirit to come into me to bring new life into my soul, into my life, into my marriage, into my friendships, into my prayer life, into every area. You are one breath away from dying. Think about that. When God breathed life into Adam, it wasn't like, here's your breath, Adam. Adam was like, <gasps> perfect, that's all I need, one breath. How long can you hold your breath? I mean, seriously, how long could you hold it? Maybe a minute tops? Big lung capacity, people? Two? You are one breath away from dying, and that constant need to inhale and exhale is there. To every, every time you breathe, you're being reminded that you need fresh life from God. But that same is true spiritually. There are pattern, there's a pattern of spiritual renewal in the church history and in our life. There are seasons of dryness, that are preparing us for new seasons of renewal that take us into higher places of intimacy and obedience and joy in the Lord. But some of us are living today on last week's breath. You, you got a good breath of God. You had an amazing breakthrough five months ago, 10 years ago, and you're holding on to that but you're not opening yourself to a fresh breakthrough of God right now and today. 
yeah, when I was 20, I needed that. But now, hey, you know, I'm, I'm cool. I got it figured out. It's a pattern. We need continual renewal. Number two, the breath or Ruach is translated spirit and it speaks of God's presence. And that's because, well, let's go to Genesis 4.13. Look at this. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. He had murdered his brother. And God said, okay, you know what? Today, you're going to have to leave. And look at verse 14. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. This is profound because the reason why the world is not the way it's meant to be is because we are, as a human race, separated from the presence of God. And for that reason, we are all restless wanderers. And that restlessness is that spiritual dryness that aches in us that says, God, I need more of your presence. As believers, we may have seasons where we start off with God, but we slowly, incrementally begin to wander away from the primacy and the centrality of being connected to God's presence. For some of us, it might just be we get caught up in serving God, but no longer being with God. It happens in our marriages. We get caught up in serving our kids, serving the family, but we're no longer falling in love with our spouse. I told, I told my wife when we had our first kid, first year was challenging, right? Because you're just reorienting to having this new person in your family. And I told my wife, I go, babe, our relationship will always be the most important relationship in our family. Because if we get to all the soccer games and get to all their events, but you and I fall out of love, they lose everything. But if you and I maybe miss that or miss that or don't get quite get to that, but you and I stay in love and keep falling in love, they gain everything that their hearts want in our family. And that's true with God. You, we get caught up in all these good things, but if you lose that presence of God in your life, that sense that when you are alone and you're praying, that sense of God's nearness, his closeness. Now listen, you guys, I've said this a hundred times and I'll say it until my last breath. I'm not just talking about an emotional experience, but I'm talking about a spiritual, albeit intuitive connection to the nearness of God in your life. You were created in that sense to feel God's presence in your life. And when you lose that, God is saying, then acknowledge that to me, admit that. Acknowledge, man, God, I don't sense your presence. It doesn't mean he's left you. It might just mean that God has said, hey, yesterday's intimacy is not enough for tomorrow's intimacy. I want to open you up to come deeper with me. The, breath, or the Ruach also is translated wind. Now, this is one of my favorite ones. Let's read, why wind? Why is this imagery of wind so powerful? Look at Acts chapter 2. When Jesus came to die on the cross and bring the Holy Spirit, he was restoring our experience with God's presence. Okay? He was renewing the way that we as a human race could experience the nearness of God. Did you know that? 
so that your, the Christian life was not fundamentally about simply the behaviors or our disciplines or our rituals, but it was about a fundamental personal experience with God that was about to change. And it doesn't matter how young you are. You could be 12 years old or you could be uh, you know, 50 years old. God wants us to begin to experience him in a really profoundly intimate and new way. And it begins right here in Acts chapter 2. Look at this. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. When we think of wind, we should not be thinking simply of that gentle little breeze, although sometimes it is. We should be thinking of a hurricane. Now, why a hurricane? Well, think of power, right? When God's spirit comes into our life, when he wants to revive us, he brings a power into your life that you could never generate on your own. So think of a pool, right? Imagine you're trying to create, you and God are going to get into a contest. Who can make the bigger waves? You get into a pool and you got your boogie board. Ever do that as a kid? And you're making waves in the pool and you make your waves, you know, but as soon as you stop, man, those waves are like within 30 seconds are gone. Now imagine, I want you to compare that to the waves of a hurricane. Think of the destructive power of those waves. 50, 100-foot waves out in the middle of the ocean being generated by all that force of those winds. That kind of power is the kind of power that God brings into our life through his spirit. Some of us are just trying to, you know, generate some, we want to change. We want to become, we want more joy. We want to be more self-controlled. And we are trying to generate change in our life with our little boogie boards. And God is saying, Throw the, give up the boogie board. And let me bring my spirit into your life. But that means you have to be willing to let God change your life. That means when God's power shows up, it is not going to be like the little rocking of a pool. When he shows up, it's going to be a kind of force that's going to bring change so core, so deep in your life. It's going to upend things that you have become comfortable with that are keeping you from walking more deeply into God's glory and his goodness for your life. Because as much as you and I want to grow closer to God, there are things that we hold on to that stand between us and God because they're familiar, they're comfortable, and they're safe. Let me give you an example. We were confronted in our ministry within, when I was doing college ministry with the fact that after a year of ministry and we had eight campuses with students with ministries on it, we had like 25 staff and at the end of the year only six students in all of San Diego had come to faith. And that reality hit us like a, it just, it hit us so hard, like a thunderclap and it humbled us and we, we, we opened ourselves to that place of dryness in our ministry. It was tempting to want to just push it aside, ignore it. Well, hey, let's just praise God for the six. Why should we focus on who's not coming to faith? Let's focus on who did. Instead, we allowed it to put us in touch with our longing for God. And my, my supervisor at the time, who was leading us, said, we need to respond to this. We need a move of God's spirit I don't want to ask you guys to work harder. I want us to seek God to do what we can't do. And we we're like, okay, what does that mean? He said, we're going to spend the next six months, every Friday, we're going to pray all day. We're going to show up at nine, and we're going to pray till five every Friday. Right there, let me tell you, I'm not ashamed to admit the fact that I was absolutely terrified. I had never in my life prayed with anybody from nine to five. Have you? 
When was the last time you dedicated six months every Friday praying nine to five? We were just like, what? And we were all murmuring and kind of muttering and like, are you kidding? That's a little bit extreme. And we, you know, we were all uncomfortable. But by the courage of that leader, we dedicated the next six months to this incredible journey of prayer. And that season changed my life and the way we did ministry for the next 20 years. In fact, the, the change was so powerful that happened throughout that ministry that we went from a ministry of six people coming to faith in a year to where campuses, just individual campuses, were seeing a hundred students coming to faith at a time. A hundred students. We were seeing students start Bible studies in Greeks or in fraternities and sororities, students putting aside their drugs. San Diego State, that had the largest drug bus in U.S. collegiate history, had students opening up their, their, their frat houses to Bibles. We had staff that were just filled with the power of God walking up to frat doors, knocking on the door and saying, hey, do you want to start a Bible study here? People laughing at them, saying, get out of here, cursing them, saying, fine, I'll go to the next one. And we would go door to door until someone said, you know what, I've been praying for someone like you to come to my frat. And in that next year, we saw 60 students come to faith, from 6 to 60, and then we saw... 100, and then we, start, we got to the point where we've seen 600 students in all of San Diego coming to faith. And that wasn't because of someone's preaching. It wasn't because of some radical strategy. It was the power of God. But we had to let God make us uncomfortable and let him shake us out of our comfortable routines. Are you willing to let God do that in your life? I want to invite the band to come on out. And as the band comes out, I want to challenge you with this question. Where in your life has God been putting you in touch with dryness? In yourself, in your family, in your friends? And where is God positioning you to begin to call on the Holy Spirit? That's what God asks Ezekiel to do. He says, prophesy to the Spirit. And what that means is he began to call on the Holy Spirit the to come into his life, to come into those bones and dryness do what he couldn't do. Death are always going to be at work. None of us is going to just grow in our faith without having to go through seasons of dryness. Just because this side of heaven, there's this always forces at work that are pulling us away from God. But there's another force at work on this earth that this passage is inviting us to put our faith in, and that is the power of God's Holy Spirit. God may have led Ezekiel through a valley of dry bones, but God led his son, Jesus, through the valley of the shadow of death on the cross. And on that cross, Jesus took down the power of sin and death and the devil himself in order to release the Holy Spirit and to breathe a life-giving force onto the earth and into our life so that dryness would never have the final say over our life. There is never going to be a season of dryness in your life that should have the final say over your journey with God. Listen to this scripture, John 20, 21. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. I want to invite us right now just to open ourselves to the Holy Spirit. 
When we can speak to the Spirit, we can just call out to the Spirit, Spirit, come and fill me. There's a revival that happened back in Wales at the turn of the century, and during that revival, this guy Evan Roberts would have people pray a simple prayer, come Holy Spirit now for Jesus' sake. And he would start like right here, you know, let's say I start with my buddy Chad, and he would just pray this prayer, and they would go around the whole room and pray this prayer, and they would go through it. And as people were praying out loud, come Holy Spirit, they would experience powerful moves of God's presence because they were willing to admit their dryness. But not only that, but they were willing to call out for God to come and move in their life. I want to invite us to do the same. I want to invite us just to stand with me for a moment. Stand up with me. I want to invite us just to pray for God to move in our life. There may be dryness in your life. There may be dryness that you're perceiving around you in our church, in your family, your coworkers. It could be dryness that you feel right now sitting here. Maybe listening to me, you feel dry. Put your hands out. Just just humor me. Just put your hands out and just pray. I want you to repeat after me. Come, Holy Spirit. For Jesus Christ's sake. Let's just pause for a moment and open our hearts to God. God, I want to pray. Help us, God, to open our hearts to you and allow you to fill us afresh this week. Teach us how to not hide from the dry place in our life, but to open them to you and allow your spirit to breathe fresh life on us again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.